Hello everybody and welcome back to the Drum Network Podcast. I'm senior reporter for The Drum, Chris Sutcliffe. We know that agile working has become the watchword for many companies over the past year. As things have changed rapidly, what with people being allowed to work from home or from the office or hybrid working, and particularly in terms of how we actually communicate with people who don't necessarily sit across from us on another desk. Even beyond that though, we're talking about what it means to be an agile business, whether that means being able to rapidly transition to new requests from clients, changing working environments, or even something as all-encompassing as the pandemic. But at the same time, there are benefits to both ways of working. So in this podcast, we're joined by two absolutely fantastic guests. We're joined by Andy Pedder, who's the CEO and co-founder of DZ, and Simon Penson, a partner at Hatch, to discuss everything to do with agile working. And as a bit of a treat, it won't be me leading the discussion this time. It's our journalist, Olivia Atkins. So please do take it away, Olivia. In this instance, we're talking about approaches to running a business. Um, so what does that mean, basically, to you both? Um, why is that so important? Why is having an agile business so important, particularly today? Um, and maybe, Andy, let's start with you. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think... Essentially, I, I like to think about agile um, organizations contrast against the kind of old um, view of an organization, which was more um, management driven, very top down structured. And um, and actually, I think there's been for a number of reasons we'll probably go into. There's been a shift towards what is now more of a, a kind of living organism as an organization, the ability to move quickly and react to the environment around it and actually um, those that are able to have that agility, decision-making and um, how they approach business are, are better set up to win. So, so not, not really top-down managed, but actually facilitated organizations that can quickly adapt to, to what they see around them. Mm. And, and just can you kind of slightly expand perhaps what you mean by uh, that adjustment to kind of structure? It's not so linear or top-down. Mm. Yeah, so I think... So I think actually uh, kind of one of the key areas is, is instead of having a much more management-driven um, approach to a business, it's actually empowering teams. So it's, it's getting um, hiring great talent and then empowering them with real clarity in terms of what the vision is and actually what the strategy is of the business, knowing what the business do, does well and then empowering the teams to deliver, so giving responsibility and ownership. Um, and entrusting them with the right structures around them to be able to deliver. And actually, that the kind of old way was much more top-down. This is what we're going to do. This is how you're going to do it. People need managing, otherwise they'll go, it will go wrong. And actually, that's I think that's shifted significantly. And Simon, how are you? How are you seeing that? Is that something that you're seeing? Is that something you agree with? Is that yeah, I love you? I, I I think I think Andy's nailed it there, hasn't he? Really? I think my, <laughs> Uh, my my view is more about sort of not the what but the why because I think that's really important. So I think you know my focus certainly over the last few months has been well actually over the last few years to be honest since I ran my last business but particularly I think we've seen it really accelerating over the last eighteen months due to COVID. I think COVID was a you know a really interesting moment in time for many different reasons, but I don't think it was the I don't think it was the um, the, the the reason behind this now this requirement for significant change, I think, you know, what it's done is 
reminded us that actually we're seeing a very different era now in the way that the world around us evolves and that's why it's really important that you are really agile now because the year you know the the era of you know things changing you know or even by things like moore's law you know that kind of exponential kind of route is gone i think we're seeing technology now is getting is accelerating faster and faster and faster and you know along the lines of you know rakers uh bills um law of accelerating marginal return um you know we're just seeing it move faster and faster and therefore if you don't move fast enough you you know your your old old news um so it's a prerequisite for that very reason really so yeah i think the why is a really important part of the the, the conversation oh. and i guess connected to that i mean it's a slightly different use of the why but um, we touched on the war for talent, Sam, and I, I, for me, I don't know what you think, but the sort of why is so critical for businesses to actually attract and win, um, win talent and, and actually how they structure them and, and how, how they set up that culture yeah. really set, sets them up for success as well. Yeah, it does. You know, and you're right. You know, increasingly, your the way you look at people when you're hiring them is going to have to change as well because they need to be able to be to work within that system of you know move fast and break things that people used to talk about ten years ago. It's now a necessity rather than a nice thing to write on the wall. If that makes sense. Very much so. Yeah, great. And and so kind of with the world getting faster, with technology playing an ever more important role. Um, mm. Yeah, what, what is what does that mean, kind of in practice? What does that mean um, in terms of like changing that responsibility management? Um, and if it's looking less like role led, um, how, how does that kind of how does that come into action? Um, and, and what challenges kind of are leaders expecting to face? Do you think in these kind of more agile workspaces? I don't know who wants to answer that. I think that, 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 that yeah, that that digs a little bit deeper into that whole, you know, people fit, you know, the the, the kind of the new world that they're increasingly mm. being asked to live in, and you know, the, the, there are going to be some for leaders, particularly. I think there are going to be some very difficult questions to answer because people that used to look really good are now going to be challenged, perhaps, because they don't work as well within a. Um, kind of an ecosystem that requires you know comfort with change you know well always on change quite frankly and you know being able to kind of mold themselves around that whereas before they might not have needed that in the same way or it might not have been as high a priority yeah. suddenly it's number one priority and you might not look as good so I think you know that there's going to be greater emphasis on training as well to make sure yeah. that people are you know feel like they're you know, well, well armored to um to move into that world. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think uh, connected to that, I think it's just uh, leaders need to facilitate um and be adaptable. I think sort of the future talent uh, succeed from being very flexible. So it's not being necessarily really strong in one area. It's actually being able to adapt because actually, to Simon's point, you've got to adapt to change constantly, and the speed of that change is accelerating. So. Uh, just in one example in, in kind of our world around um, development, it could be uh, one particular development language is kind of commonplace and, and dominant right now, but in a few years' time, that won't be the case. So actually having having the ability to adapt quickly is key. And, and as a leader, it's being able to adjust to what you see around and change and support teams to do that rather than actually thinking that you know all the answers and actually dictating everything. It's, it's kind of being able to manage 
top down and bottom up and actually listen and um, and, and kind of facilitate a team to do, make the right decisions within the right context. Are, are you noticing kind of a difference in needs or kind of skill sets because of the emergence or kind of increasing rise and pace of like digital um, within everyday life and particularly with the pandemic, obviously everyone's relying on it in ways that perhaps we hadn't anticipated previously. Um, it's kind of even more important now to have uh, that infrastructure in place. Has that kind of impacted skill sets? Um, and yeah, yeah management. Yeah, uh, certainly for us, I think, I mean, we, we support a number of different kind of um, design and build agencies. And what we've seen is actually the it's really hard for them to hire um, all the skills in-house to be able to support the kind of wide range of technologies and ever-changing. So, And also they, they have to react to demand. So as an agency, being able to respond to that demand is key to winning. So if you don't know whether you're going to, for instance, um, win a, a native mobile app or a cross-platform, it's really hard to actually structure your team to win. So uh, the way we're able to support is actually having that flexible workforce um, through through our model and, and we've seen huge growth through covid and through our 35 both really key factors within that but there's just a broader trend around actually as a as an organization you need to work out where you win and what you're really good at and i think we're seeing a shift in lots of agencies moving up the kind of value chain and focusing on the strategy and what they do really well and then in terms of delivery they've got they, they're looking for more flexible solutions rather than trying to find everything in-house mm. Uh, Simon, was there anything you wanted to add to that? No, I mean, I think you've caught it. I mean, obviously, from my side, I've, you know, I've run an agency, but now I'm also um, a, a partner in an investment uh, fund that looks after, well, I think we've got 39 portfolio businesses, so in a broad range, all technology and digital businesses, um, all at various, you know, stages of growth from, you know, the, the founding team, you know, whether that's one or two people all the way through to, you know, three, four hundred people. And I, I think increasingly there's a really interesting challenge for the for the, the hiring managers in those that, you know, taking a generalization across the board where I think they're stuck in a, a place where they're finding that actually hiring younger people, they seem to be better set up for this new way of working, you know. Mm -hmm you know, mentally and, you know, culturally, um, but they don't have the experience. And I think that the challenge lies in the middle of those two things where you need the really experienced people that are like, you know, what, what on earth is this? You know, we need a, we need a plan to, you know, fresh out of uni or whatever, and, you know, full of energy and, you know, wants to want to move quickly. And that, that it's, it's going to be getting those two things to meet together, I think, that, mm. You know, it, it, and, it, and you know, it's actually it's an age old problem because, you know, you've always had this battle. I mean, we had it right. We had an agency that was half made up of right brain creative people and content producers and designers. And then the other half that were developers, and you know, that they always used to clash. And it was the, 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 the smart bit was in figuring out how to get those two things to work seamlessly together. And I think this is the new version of that. Mm -hmm. mm. Do you think, um, Andy, you said something which I thought was quite interesting about kind of how everybody needs to uh, obviously be flexible and adapt a little bit more, but I was wondering whether with this change it will make everyone kind of a jack of all trades or whether the need to be a specialist is kind of 
uh, or, or whether the ability to still be a specialist is still kind of as much on the table, or whether it's something people just kind of have to open up a bit more towards to get a little bit more of a lay of the land. No, it's a really good question. It's, it's quite a hard one to call, but I think <laughs> I think what we're seeing is people are a kind of uh, a, a hybrid of generalists and specialists. So, for instance, you might be a, a specialist within within tech, but still you're generous. You're able to to adapt to different technologies or different areas. Um, but actually, I think it's it's learning. Uh, I guess to Simon's point, through experience and how and how you do certain things, and then being able to to lean on expertise elsewhere sometimes to be able to actually um, do some of the other work. So. Uh, and I think it's also a kind of process. So you might have the experience and the know-how for how to run a process, but then you're really just applying that and, and how to learn something quickly in a new situation. Okay. And I think increasingly we're seeing almost, um, we're seeing single-use teams spinning up regularly. And I think there's definitely, there's been a lot of kind of research and um, work done on actually the future of a kind of very specific project teams spinning up and then, disbanding again and and having a, a clear kind of mandate and focus but i think the the kind of the thing that will the key thread that will continue through that is you can't ever you can't you can't ever cheat experience experience helps you learn and adapt and um and i guess you've got to have an underlying skill set within what you're doing an underlying kind of um, area of expertise mm. do you think um simon do you think it's kind of with the experience thing, do you think it's a trust thing to allow people to kind of jump into new spaces? Or is there an element of, uh, yeah, I don't know, like, I, I, you know, just because it's kind of shifting from, as we said, kind of top down, bottom up. Um, so is there anything that can be done from the leaders kind of looking down? You know, businesses used to be run, you know, I think they used to call it theory X management, which is basically like, you know, shout and wag your fingers at people and if they didn't do it, they were fired. I think we've come a long way from that place, which is helping facilitate the change. But now it's tipped it upside down. And, it, and you know, because you need to move so quickly, you need to trust. And you, but I think that there are lots of frameworks that you can develop to really help and aid that process by making sure that actually when you're doing your planning it's more around you know really clear accountability and responsibilities not just the teams but of individuals and then kind of a, a report a simple reporting up of you know the kind of the how well they're doing against those accountabilities i think if you've got that kind of framework in place then you know look it's the whole delegation program problem, isn't it? People are going to make mistakes. You've got to be happy and comfortable with that, otherwise you'll never build a scale business. But as long as they also, it works both ways, that everybody has really, really crystal clear objectives, um, accountabilities, responsibilities, then I think you'll you know, be able to kind of work your way through that minefield um, in, a, in a, the best shape possible. Mm. And hopefully yep. perhaps the pandemic has allowed that shift to kind of enter in. Sorry, jump in, Andy. No, I was, I was just going to echo what you were saying, actually, which is the pandemic slightly forced that change and that suddenly leaders who didn't want to embrace virtual working, for instance, where it had never been allowed, you had to be in the office five days a week, suddenly they were faced with this situation where it was that or or close the company. So, so actually, I think it's really interesting that that change happened so much faster over the time and actually they were forced to yeah. trust. And I think lots of them realised that with the right... Um, the right people, but also signs of the right kind of um, 
objectives and structures and, and kind of what um, accountability across the team led to actually them realizing, realizing actually if you trust people and empower them, they can really thrive and you can really grow. And that it's incredible. So, And I think also that the, the, the cutting bleeding edge of this, and it's not really relevant for, for the agency discussion, but I think it's going to be increasingly relevant for the wider business community, is what's happening in um, kind of cryptocurrencies and, and the whole kind of um, tokenization space in that, you know, we're starting to see the, this world down used a lot and which is basically decentralized business. And now that is, at, yes, it's at the cutting edge. It's further along that trajectory, but I can see that happening more and more, which is the ultimate example of what we're talking about. Because what you're saying is that the business no longer exists. What you're looking for is almost like an Ocean's Eleven kind of setup where you have a very specific project, right? You know, we want to go and steal this diamond, you know, or we need an acrobat and a, you know, and an X, Y, and a Z. Those people come together, are rewarded via tokens, cryptocurrencies to doing that thing and dissipate off again. And the, the community, the, the end user, the client, the customer ends up owning that thing. Mm. And that, you know, that's even further along curve isn't it so i think there's more even more to come mm, very true very true yeah and i think also like with the hybrid working obviously that's a new form still kind of in its very early days you know people are getting it right and wrong at the same time and it hasn't yet fully landed internationally even you know because so many pandemics and lockdowns happen have happened and are continuing to happen at different rates um do you think running an agile workforce you kind of touched on this a little bit, but has been made easier by remote working. Do you think it's easier to become, uh, to embody or embrace the more agile kind of working culture in-house, um, whether it's with freelancers or whether it's indoors, just kind of the attitude that you're bringing people on. Um, yeah, do you think that's easier because of remote working? I think it's yes and no. Like I think there's <laughs> kind of... A, Predominantly, yes, but it brings other challenges. But I think um, what, one of the things, just stepping back um, a second on, on the kind of agile working, I think one of the things we've learned massively over the last 18 months, we've grown from kind of four employees to uh, 22, is actually um, the rapid decision-making and learning are really key. And so actually, I think one of the things that I think has changed in agile organization or has changed as a result of agile, agile organizations is is the that failure isn't necessarily a bad thing um mm -hmm. if if uh, and what i mean by that is actually making mistakes we touched on this earlier but actually if someone makes the same mistake twice that is a that is a problem but actually where there's a mistake that's made there's uh, people learn from it and adapt that leads to other opportunities and certainly in our what we've seen at dz um we've grown massively through things that we've done wrong and adapted and constantly adapt and evolved. And I think that is one of the key signs of an agile organization is actually they respond to um, what's around them and, and constantly learning. So I think that's, that's um, really important. And coming back to your question, I guess, about um, hybrid working um, or virtual working, I think we saw this weird pendulum swing during the pandemic where sort of a month in, everyone's like, oh, well, we're never going to go back to the office ever again. And it was a really kind of extreme. And then that pendulum swung back again late, a few months later and everyone was <laughs> feeling a bit fed up of being stuck in yeah. at home. Um, but I think it's moved back to somewhere in the middle. And it's because virtual working enables you to be a lot more productive. You can do a lot of, the, um, a lot of focused work um, without distraction. You can be 
smashing through tasks but it's not so strong at, at kind of other forms of work collaboration and mm. some of the the social fabric and culture that keeps the organization together um and the danger of it uh, if you if you want to have an organization that's joined up um it almost touches on the sort of vision simon painted where actually there isn't an organization no one belongs to anything they turn up they do their job and get paid but they'll move as soon as someone else offers them to pay them more um Mm. Um, and which is why the kind of cultural part is so key. Mm. And Simon, is there anything? Do you want me just the heads up? <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I, I think the hybrid thing is, you know, it, it's been fascinating to watch um, kind of from the outside. I think when it, you know, when, when the pandemic hit, you know, I, it was a rare moment where I was like, I really am pleased that I'm not actually running a large team at the moment because there are lots of reasons why you enjoy doing that but that was not one of them because of that huge seismic change but uh, it, it's really interesting if you put a slightly different lens over the whole thing about you know well, all these people are working from home and it's you know tipped everything upside down and, and doing a lot of reading around you know uh, around what kind of impact that has and there's a really interesting um thought process called invert basically called inverse thinking which is would really help me get my head around actually the fact that it isn't probably as big a deal as as we perhaps thought and make out in our heads where you know mm -hmm. you kind of take the opposite view where you go well actually if you imagine a world where you know actually we work like this all the time and then all of a sudden or at home and then all of a sudden somebody says right you're going to go to an office you're going to sit in a cubicle on your own and you're going to work you know eight hours a day in that cubicle and then you're going to go home that in itself is a weird thing mm. and with that lens all of a sudden you realize actually that the change is not good or bad it's just change and therefore mm. what are the positives and negatives that can come out of it and mm. you know th there is no doubt in my head that hard work so you know the stuff that we spend most of our time supposedly doing at work is best served quiet space get on with it knuckle down and you know do what you can whereas i think what the office environment actually gave us was soft work mm -hmm. as has been termed which is actually has a lot of importance so it's culture which i think is is the hardest bit to do remotely mm -hmm. um but and also those kind of which is partly culture but that kind of um kind of knowledge by osmosis stuff that you know when you're talking to somebody over your screen or you know you're having a water cooler chat in the US that disappears and I think finding a way of making that bit work is the key I think to the hybrid working success and you know I'm not sure I have the answers as I've seen lots of really good ideas but um you know the hard work is better you're going to be much more productive and I think you know productivity and all that kind of stuff I'm sure will be better for it but we just need to learn how to create culture from afar which oh. is an interesting challenge mm, no, I totally agree I think we um I mean the other benefit we've seen around um hybrid working is is uh the kind of wider talent pool it actually means you're not restricted to a certain location and I think what that's meant for us is we can hire more widely, but also it opens up um, diversity because if you're if people can work from home or they can work predominantly from home, come to the office, there's real flexibility there. It opens up to uh, um, potentially kind of working parents who might not otherwise be able to apply for a job, and uh, we've seen kind of a kind of great outcome from that. But um, but, I, but I think the challenge to Simon's point around culture is no one's cracked it yet. It's we're still all in the learning stage, and I think the next. 
um, year or a few years is going to be really kind of iterative, trying to figure out how to do it. And my my kind of word I'm sitting on at the moment is deliberate. Um, what I think I've learned over the last 12 months and trying to still figure out is actually to do the cultural part and the soft working, you have to be deliberate. So even to give someone a piece of feedback, you can't just do it as you're what you can't say, oh, it was a great job on that presentation. Here's a couple of things to improve. You can't have that um, while you're getting a cup of tea or grabbing a coffee. You actually have to like intentionally call them. And that's just one small example. So I think it takes a lot more effort and you have to plan how are you going to get people together? How are you going to create cross-functional teams who actually like uh, have a sense of belonging and kind of all work in the same direction? How are you going to... Um, introduce kind of social events to support the kind of um, that, that culture and we don't have all the answers but these are the kind of questions we're answering and I, I think the kind of th key thing at the moment for us is we're trying to be intentional and deliberate in what we do mm. uh, and then learn from it. Well this is going to lead me actually into my next question which was it seems like we're in kind of two opposed system where it's a decentralized one and then trying to create like an engaged working culture or community um, so from your own perspectives and experiences like are there any kind of tried and tested kind of initiatives or frameworks that you're looking at or using to kind of keep people engaged um or just even if it's something that you're thinking of you know but just noticing and considering i think this is uh, definitely one for andy to start on because <laughs> i was about to offer over to you <laughs> i left it open <laughs> I, I think one that we I wouldn't say it's a frame, all we're thinking about at the moment, and it was a, really a test as we had. Um, so we know that when we meet face-to-face -face in cross-functional teams, it kind of achieve, it helps us stay aligned across the organization and we kind of solve things together. But it also means that we kind of build relationships across those different functional silos. And so um, that's really important. But I think creating a culture as we scale and go from, 20 people to potentially 40 is something we're really conscious of so i think um one test we did recently is that three people went and worked together in a different location so it was, it was part of web summit but actually uh, kind of as part of that they fed back to us there were so many ben additional benefits to three of them working together how they had to figure out what they, where are they going to eat what they were going to like which kind of events they were going to go uh, go to uh, and they had lots of kind of informal time to feed back on and, and support each other and, and kind of share ideas. And actually, so that model is something we're exploring. It doesn't have to be in Lisbon every time, um, but but the idea of three um, almost randomized people from the team, from different functions, going and working somewhere in a different location. Um, and then almost, I guess, doing life together for a few days. And, and nice. as they do that, it really brings people together more because they're kind of a team um, but it also, and, and so it actually helps solve some of the softer pieces that really decentralized working just doesn't facilitate. Yeah, it, it, I think, you know, Andy, you, you obviously are living this day to day. And I think what, what I'm, what I've tried to think about answering this is some real world examples of that from, from our perspective. And, um, there are two that kind of come to mind. One, one actually is um, agency related because um, I advise um, an agency and um, they've been having some real problems with um, not just recruitment because obviously that's difficult at the moment, but actually retention as well because they've been hiring people in this wonderful new world where they can hire people that are miles and miles away, which is great, opens the talent pool up. But then actually retaining them is really difficult because if they don't 
onboard them properly and you know and, and, and explain and help them absorb the culture there's no reason to stay and so what we've been trying to think about is how um how to get over that and um something that they've just started working on at the moment which andy and i actually were talking about very recently is this whole concept of and again it's kind of inverse thinking a little bit of the, the, the obvious thing is to go to them right okay so we're in london um, you're in Liverpool, what we'll do is, you know, you can come down and you can stay in a hotel for a few days and spend a bit of time in the office. Whereas if you flip that on its head and go, actually, what we want to do is get the immediate people or, you know, a randomised selection of people that they're going to be working with, hire an Airbnb in their neighbourhood, very close to where they actually live, and go and spend, you know, take the team to them and let the team spend the week in their lives you know and it becomes much more um much more personalized and much more you know kind of emotively connected mm. um and that has had some good initial results for them i'm not saying it's the answer but it's one example i think um and then another is probably uh, um one of our investments uh, a, bit, a platform called orbital chat They've developed because um, I think I think software has a big part to play in this. We all, you know, we're using Slack, etc., and you know, Zoom as we are doing now. Um, but Orbital Chat is a really interesting kind of always-on desktop um, platform, and there are lots of people building stuff in this space where it's audio only, which actually is really interesting because I think spending so much time on video is quite frankly exhausting, and you don't realise oh. how exhausting it is until you're audio only um Ooh. it's spatially aware as well so you end up with a um kind of a you know to you to utilize the phrase metaverse where you you know you have your own desk you have your own office um yeah. in the platform itself and then you can move to a quiet space it's always on in the background of your computer or if you want to go a meeting you just move, shift yourself you know virtually over to a meeting room and you know, then you're immediately connected to them all via audio. So it's that sort of stuff, I think, that creates that kind of always-on ability to communicate, because communication is the key, isn't it, um, that will also help us. So there, there's a couple of slightly different examples of, you know, real-world practical experience. Mm. Interesting as well to see kind of the, the, the how it's merging with, you know, digital and in real life and how, although digital has seemingly taken uh, a much higher priority level with with all of us, how, you know, regardless of kind of all the metaverse things, even if we're entering new digital spaces, we're still wanting the freedom and flexibility to kind of mirror reality somehow. Um, So like creating a space, creating a room, having that ownership, inviting people in to that still feels... I don't know, it's, it's interesting how it's kind of still mirroring, mirroring very real, um, yeah. intimate spaces which you get from like social interactions. Rather than... yeah, it is, it is it's fascinating, isn't it? Because I think, mm. if, you know, certainly from a personal experience, I think you realise, don't you, through, through lockdown, that how much we are reliant as human beings on that kind of social interaction and communication. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when we were all starved of it, which you know, we all were at some point <laughs> in that, that horrible affair, um, we we realised actually that how much we feed off it. And mm. so I think the solution has to be, you know, uh, uh, finding a way of communicating without it being distracting, mm-hmm. with it being connected enough. And that's, diff- mm-hmm. you know, a very difficult balance, isn't it? As we said, it's the thing, like Andy said, it's, it's a long way to run in that, I think. Mm. Yeah, and ultimately we're relational, aren't we? So it's, as you say, Simon, so when we were starved of it, it just 
accentuated how much that's needed. And so I think lots, but technology makes things more efficient, but it doesn't actually, you'll never be able to replace the, the soft part and the cultural part and the relationships. So even in a metaverse, it's still going to be almost trying to um, copy and um, mm. mimic what, what already um, kind of works in, in practice. So. And I think it's a lot of like intangible uh, things, what, you know, that you kind of, or like visceral things like body language and things that don't communicate as easily on a screen. So that's what people miss, but, you know, they don't necessarily notice that they're even observing them. And yet it's such a huge part of everyone's personality. Yeah. So in creating these like agile environments and hybrid environments, it does seem like easily overlooked, but quite important to re-embed um, as they're marrying up the digital and the physical spaces. I think, yeah, it's been, it's been really, really interesting for me over the last few months of, like, during lockdown, as we all have, we've um, developed relationships and brought on new staff where, you know, we've only ever met them like this. And then to, mm. to bring that into the physical world is, is fascinating. You know, I met a guy only last week who we'd spent hours talking on Zoom and then we met. And, you know, like you said, the body language is quite different to what I expected mm. it. You know to be and I realized actually that if I interviewed him in a real situation I'd have realized it's a lot more fastidious and detail orientated and all of those things than actually it came across on video so <laughs> it was it was, it was more impressive in real life you know yeah. which I'm sure everybody hopes that somebody would say about them yeah. than on Zoom so you're right body language is huge. Mm. Mm. And looking ahead kind of are there any uh like what are you expecting kind of um are you expecting this kind of hybrid environment to last? Is it is it realistic? To kind of, think? I know conferences are kind of um, seemingly permanently offering, uh, or at least promising to offer the hybrid model. But do you think it will work kind of in a working environment space? Um, what what do you think that will kind of mean for the future? Is there anything kind of that we can predict or anticipate? Um, and are there any kind of macro trends that could affect workforces? beyond future pandemics um, that we can kind of like look out for or kind of cater for, perhaps. Mm. Uh, go for it, Andy. So I, it's interesting. I was, uh, I was talking to someone recently and they were saying, like, because we've got a hybrid culture and they were saying actually that's the hardest. Um, so actually it's, it's almost easier to be fully remote and virtual mm. or fully in office. And I think that's because no one's really cracked hybrid. It is new and it's, it's mm. so virtual, you 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 kind of just accept the situation and you use technology and you have to be productive but you i guess you have to be creative if you want to maintain culture but it's potentially as part of that business model you have to accept um the challenges associated with it but as hybrid you're trying to get the best of both and i think that's why it's so hard but i think um done well it it's hugely um it has huge potential i think it will be here to stay i think it but it will just take um time before it's actually people learn all those lessons and adapt um for it to stay and i think partly the reason it'll stay is because talent is the most important thing and increasingly so and so actually giving you get you get kind of the benefits of um attracting talent from a, a wider pool but also you get to give them flexibility and i think that the demand will be or the sort of de facto will be i want to work from home or i want to at least work partially from home um, and that's what people expect so actually I think part of it has to adapt to, to what they need in that sense. 
I think, I think you're right, though, Andy. I think, you know, there's a saying, isn't there, like, nothing worth having is easy. And uh, you know, oh. hybrid working is a great example of that. It, but it doesn't mean it's, you know, not the right thing. It, it is actually the right thing. It's hard. You know, and yes, remote remote is great in some respects, but, you know, equally it creates a huge retention problem and then you've got churn and you haven't got culture and if you haven't got culture, what, you know, what are you what as are an you? organization? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So hybrid, yeah, it is hard, but you have to work really, really hard and consistently over a long period of time to crack it, I think. And, you know, those that do will be the winners for the future, I think. Mm. So interesting meme actually the other day, which you guys just reminded me of. Uh, I know memes are obviously like the future of everything that's real, um, but it was you know somebody in the office, kind of like I'm doing now, you know, zooming uh, in a, in a room while everyone else is at home, being you know doing the hybrid thing. But they were saying that's the worst of both worlds because you're still having to zoom in or whatever, be on a screen, but yeah, you're in the office. So I think if you've come to the office, there has to be that incentive or community to kind of tap in so it doesn't mm. just feel like you're mimicking back home in the office because obviously the culture isn't there. So it's, I guess, um, preempting where people can feel that they're falling short if it's not serving a purpose for them that home could do. Um, no, I totally agree. I, and it's really interesting because, that again, that's another area where you have to be really intentional because if you go into the office, you have to make sure you've, and this is something we're still working on, encouraging the team. If you go into the office, you have to clear your diary and, or at least clear some of it so you're not just waving at people and then going on <laughs> yeah. back to back Zoom calls and you see them at the end of the day. Mm. Um, and I've definitely been, I had days like that. And at the end of the day, you're like, you chat to people and they're like, I've not seen you all day. Like, where have you mm. been? And so, so you sort of pass like ships in the night and actually mm. you almost have to create, a, again, a deliberate culture, an intentional culture where people have certain days where they're in the office and then they push some of their those Zoom meetings and they're, as Simon said, the hard work into the other oh. days. So there's actually a bit more room for social interaction and meeting oh. up and that really creating that culture. Oh. I'm looking to, uh, I'm looking forward to becoming a part of an, a, an elite fighting force of voting <laughs> <Rachel> 11. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you need any recruits to kind of go in and find the diamond, I'm in. <laughs>